Hey, welcome to the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to listen today. We have a saying in our church, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. So no matter where you're at in your life, we hope that this message brings you some encouragement. Enjoy. Hey, my name is Nate Milliken. I serve as a, as a husband uh, to Lauren, 16 years, a dad to Lucianne, Lydia, um, Samuel, and Lorelai, Joy, we call her LJ, and um, we were about to start the foster process, and uh, about Samuel was five, and then we got pregnant, and so I'm not one of those parents that has low awareness that thinks all my kids are great. Um, LJ is spoiled rotten, and she's um, a little turd at times, but I'm grateful, grateful for the four kids that God has given us, so I'm a husband, dad. I serve as a pastor at a church down in southern Indiana, think Louisville, Kentucky, the pastor of church planning partnerships at Graceland Baptist Church, which ironically, Graceland Baptist Church was started by a guy named... Elvis. I'm not, I'm not making that up. Um, that's true. True story. And uh, I also serve with Mark in the state of Indiana, um, helping churches get involved and engage in church planting. And I was telling Mark right before I came up here, and, and Mark has become a good friend, and I was telling him it's been good for my soul. My soul has been refreshed. There's about 450 churches that are connected to the North American Mission Board all throughout Indiana. About half of them are led by bivocational pastors because they can't support a full-time pastor. And a lot of them are stagnant or declining. That's the state of Indiana in a nutshell. And that's not the case here. Mark, Mark. Um, God's doing a good work here at Hamilton Hills through your leadership. And so this is an anomaly, by the way. This does not happen in most churches. Okay, Life change, there's an excitement, there's newness, there's guests that are coming. There's, there were several people that trusted Christ in the first service. And um, it's just, uh, this is not normal. So don't become too familiar with what God is doing. Okay, Appreciate it, love it, and it's all grace. right? What is grace? Something that we don't. Something we don't deserve. And grace should captivate our hearts every day. But we get too familiar with grace. And it doesn't wow us and amaze us. We are in the second sermon of this sermon series. We is greater than me. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, turn to Proverbs uh, 17. I'm going to walk through a couple verses. Proverbs 17. We is greater than me. Talking about membership in the local church. Not a sermon that you hear a lot of times in the church. But membership is so important. If you're a believer in Christ, um, God has saved you and he has ushered you into the family of God. And there are men and women, boys and girls all over the world that have a saving knowledge of Christ. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're part of the universal church. And God's expectation, not suggestion, God's expectation and what we read in the scriptures is that every believer would not only be part of of the universal church, Right, but we would have a local expression of the universal church in local congregations such as Hamilton Hills or Foothills Church where I pastored in Phoenix, Arizona, or Oak Park, or Graceland, or Restoration, or Redemption. Local expressions of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, coming together in friendship, in belief in Jesus, to worship our King and our Savior, and to go tell the world how God's created them, He loves them, as we were singing, he's madly in love with them and he gave us his son so that we might have a right relationship, a right friendship, if, if you will, with Christ. So this morning I want to talk about membership or friendship in the local church. I know in a room this size with this many people, there are probably some who have had bad experiences with church 
Uh, maybe you were de-churched where you came and just something happened. You don't trust the leadership or an event happened. And when you hear things such as the church should be a place where you have sweet, robust, strong relationships and friendships, you kind of balk at that. Um, but the church is really the place where we should have strong, intimate, close relationships. If you look around, just humor me for a moment, if you look around, there's some peculiar people in this room, isn't there? Right? And I, if I'm being transparent, right, and at church we should be transparent, it should be a safe place, even though a lot of times it's not this place I feel like it is, so I'm going to be transparent with you. There's a lot of people that I wouldn't voluntarily choose to uh, identify with, but because there's a commonality of Jesus, there's something that supersedes all of the differences and boxes and categories that we prop up in our life. So I want to talk about friendships and the local church. See if any of these events or scenarios resonate with you, or some, maybe some of you have experienced these. Miscarriage. We've had a miscarriage. Brain surgery. I had brain surgery uh, a year and a half ago. That was on my bucket list, so I got to check that off the box. <laughs> Bouts of depression. Struggles in marriage. Anybody had struggles in marriage, right? There's three of us that are honest, okay? Trying to figure out the parenting thing or the grandparent thing, new baby, bankruptcy, new marriage, separation, divorce, reconciliation, demotion, promotion, cancer, cancer-free, vacation, death, wandering child, getting older, taking care of parents, and entering into a season of life that you never thought that you'd entered into. Various ailments, difficulties, joys, high highs, and low lows. What would we do and how would we endure those joys, those celebrations, those hardships, those difficulties without friends? God has been kind to give us friends. The root of the word kindness is, is actually the biblical word grace. What is grace? Again, it's something that we don't deserve. God has been kind to give us friends. And the membership that we have in the local church, these, these relationships where God has called us out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians chapter 1, we have an intimacy and a closeness with one another that supersedes all other differences. Your allegiance to King Jesus should supersede your political bent, right? Your allegiance to Jesus should supersede your sports affiliation. Your allegiance to Jesus and the connection you have with Christ should supersede your personality bit. Your allegiance to Jesus should supersede fill in the stinking blank. Our commitment to Christ supersedes all. And you have all these people from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, languages, socioeconomic statuses, different political bents, personality bents, values, and we come together and we're united in Christ. And that allegiance is going to usher us into eternity. Not our political bent, not our socioeconomic status, not our cultural upbringing, not our parenting philosophy, Christ. And so I want to talk about friendship. It began in the book of Genesis. The Bible says that Adam walked with God. Now we think, well, he was literally physically walking. No, the word walked is a Hebrew metaphor for Adam was friends with God. It's a Hebrew metaphor for friendship. God was friend, a friend to Adam, and Adam was a friend to God. That friendship, that relationship was broken, 
and was separated because of their sin. And when they sinned, God came into the garden. And what was the question that he asked? Where are you? Now, God, God is omniscient. He, he knows where they were. So it's not a question with regards to geographical uh, questioning, but it's a relational question. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Much like a spouse would say to their spouse who's relationally distant and cold, where are you? Much like a heartbroken parent asks a withdrawn prodigal child or a friend who asks a friend who was once very close but is now relationally cool and aloof or distant, where are you? Why is there distance between us? And Adam and Eve had suddenly, uncharacteristically, no longer wanted to be with God. They once were close with him. There was intimacy. There was friendship. There was a relationship. But he was no longer safe. And they had ceased to trust in him. His very presence exposed their shame and brought guilt and brought separation because of their decision to not trust in the goodness and the word of God. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do it, you shall surely die. They do that and separation ensues. But God in his love for humanity, God in his commitment to humanity, was not willing to let us continually be separated, but sent his son Christ so that we might have friendship, relationship with him. And that relationship and friendship that we have with the Father, that vertical relationship through Christ, is to be bent out. That we're to bend that out with one another. That intimacy, that, that strength, that close that we have with the Father is to be bent out with one another. Particularly, brothers and sisters in Christ in a local Church, And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you this morning with regards to friendships because you cannot live the life that God wants you to live. You cannot experience fullness of joy apart from friendships. You will not be the man, woman, boy, or girl that God wants you to be apart from cultivating biblical friendships, all right? So I want to share with you three points. The first point's real quick. The uniqueness of friendship Secondly, the characteristics of friendship and the power to do friendship because I'm not here just to give you a how to do something better. Jesus did not come to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. So whatever we talk about, we want to root it in the good news and the person and the power of Christ. So I want to talk about last of the power to actually do friendship the way God has told us in his word. First, the uniqueness of friendship. We read in Proverbs 17, verse 17, as well as chapter 18, verse 24, two truths about friendships. Here's what Solomon writes to his son. Verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions or acquaintances Notice he didn't say friendships. There's a difference between companions and friendships. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times. This is a culture much different than ours. This was this would be a, a an Asian culture, a Middle Eastern culture, where they are very familial oriented, very family oriented. There's loyalty, there's commitment, there's allegiance. You don't leave the family, you don't separate from your family. Family was everything. Family was everything, and yet 
Solomon writes, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Your family is just stuck with you, aren't they? Like they're, they're stuck with you and you're stuck with them. But what does a friend do? A friend chooses to be stuck to our hot mess and you choose to be stuck to someone else's hot mess. They're choosing you. Friendships are unique in that they are not born into your life. They make a conscious decision that I'm going to be tethered and connected to you with all of your highs, with all of your lows, and with all of your joys, with all of your struggles. I'm committed to you. There's a uniqueness to friendship. Told you that was a quick point, right? Second point, characteristics, and all the points are not that quick, by the way, just to kind of give you a preface. Characteristics of true friendships. Characteristics of true friendships. Four, let me give you four of them. Constancy, carefulness, candor, and counsel. Constancy, it's not a word we use a lot. Carefulness, candor, and counsel. First, constancy. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity he's not saying that your friends are with you all the time because Solomon will write elsewhere in the book of Proverbs that too much of a good thing is a is a bad thing so it's not like I want you in my house all the time and I don't want to be in your house all the times when he says loving at all times it includes difficult times a brother chapter 17 verse 17 verse Verse B, a brother is born for adversity. What's he saying? He's saying that your family is there through the thick and thin. I realize when I say that that's not true for every case, but in this culture, that was the case. They were there through thick and thin, through all types of hardships. Your brother is your family. Your sister is your family. They don't have a choice, right? They love you. They may not like you, but they love you. They're family. Now, my sister... Um, works in D.C. She just actually got a new job. She's going to be in Copenhagen for six months. And I don't, she works for the government doing small business communication. I honestly could not tell you what she does. I think she works for the CIA. And so um, my sister, we have a Millican text thread, and she put, I love my family. And I said, we love you too. And she texted me independent of the family text thread. She goes, you love me, but you don't really like me. And if I'm being honest, I said, that's true at times, Sarah. There are times that I love you, but I don't really like you. But I'm stuck with you, and you're stuck with me. A brother is born for adversity. A friend doesn't have to stick around, do they? Like Family doesn't have the choice. A friend loves at all times. Being there when times are difficult, good times and bad times. You cannot be a good friend without availability. You can't be a good friend without availability. Uh, A good friend is not going to let you go down to ruin. They're not going to let you go into destruction. They're going to try to be present and persuade you to say, hey, that's not what you need. That's not helpful. And a good friend is going to remain constant in your life. Have you ever done anything idiotic? And some, oh yeah, students on the front row are like, oh yes. Parents are like, I received that. Yes, they have. Foolish. Yeah. And a good friend doesn't say, you know what? You just made a stupid mistake. I wish you wouldn't have done that. I wish you wouldn't have said that or gone there or, or made that comment. I'm done. That's not what a good friend does. A good friend exemplifies constancy. I'm not going to let you fail. I'm going to go to battle with you. We're in this together. I'm committed to you even if it costs me something. Constancy. Secondly, Carefulness. So look at chapter 25, verse 20. 25, verse 20. 
Here's what Solomon writes to his son. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Do you ever wonder, like, what, what does that mean? Like, when you read the Bible, like, I have no idea what this means. I read it and I move on. Here's chapter, and I'm going to come back to that. 26, verse 18 and 19. Here's what Solomon writes. Like a madman who throws firebrand, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Okay? Or chapter 27, verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. What is Solomon saying? Loud voice, taking a garment off on a cold day, vinegar on soda. What is, what's, he, what's he saying? Why does a loud man loudly bless his neighbor early in the morning? Why does a man deceive his neighbor and then say, I was only joking? Here's why. They are not emotionally connected with you. They're not being, the second characteristic of true friendship, careful. They're not being careful. What do I mean by that? I don't know you well enough, and I'm not emotionally attached to you to a degree that I don't realize this joke is going to land hard on your heart. I don't know you well enough that singing loudly in the morning is not received as a blessing, but is received as a curse, right? Okay, so I've been married 16 years to Lauren. Um, She's wildly gorgeous and so kind, and, and I see her in a way that I didn't see her early on in our marriage. And I'm a morning person. I can wake up at five and like the joy of the Lord is my strength. I can go work out. Mark's not a morning person. I like to send him early morning text messages in case he has phone on loud just to wake him up when I get up sometimes. And so I'm a, I'm a morning person. My wife is not a morning person. And in the early parts of our marriage, I would want to talk about life, struggles, politics, uh, um, our relationship, you know, things that we need to work on, parenting philosophy. Hey, do you want to talk about budget? And she would just look at me and say, don't talk to me in the mornings. And I used to be offended by it. I used to say, you know, if you really love Jesus, you'd want to talk to me in the morning. You'd want to engage. I've got some really serious, heartfelt, significant things to talk about. My wife doesn't like me or anyone else in the mornings. And so I would try to engage with her, and finally I'm realizing to be emotionally connected to my wife is to be careful with my wife. And for the longest time, I I, I know it's very immature, I would get get irritated with her, but that's not who she is. I want to be emotionally connected and careful with my wife. I want to say the right thing at the right time. In this case, people are slowly getting up in the morning, Their minds are still a little sluggish, a little groggy. And if they're greeted by someone with a loud, cheerful voice, it can be disturbing. What was meant as a blessing turns out to be a curse. So when I go into my daughter's room, Lucianne and Lydia share a room. And Lucianne, she's like me, morning person. Lydia, no, 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 no. Could be the devil incarnate in our house Monday through Friday. She's like, she's eight. She's eight. Ah! And I'm like, Lydia, you got to get up. And, she's, and I'm being nice. And she still thinks, stop talking. I don't know what she's going to be like as a 16-year-old. God, help me. Um, but what is meant as a blessing turns out to be a curse. Friends give the gift of emotional connection voluntarily. When you're sad, I should not be happy. When you're happy... 
I should not be sad. Right? I know there are people that want to just have, the, they have this Pollyanna view of life. Everything's great and joyful. And when you're down and melancholy, say, hey, the joy of the Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. But sometimes we just need the ministry of presence. And good friends give the gift of emotional connection. This is true. Think about parenting or grandparenting. When your child is sad, what are you? You're sad. When they're encouraged, you're encouraged. When they get bullied at school, what do you want to do? You want to go to the school and throw down, right? When they're depressed, you're depressed. When they're struggling, you're struggling. Why? Because as parents, grandparents, we give the gift of emotional connection. What hurts, what encourages, what discourages them does with you. I'm hurting with you. I'm celebrating with you. I'm rejoicing with you. I'm discouraged with you. A friend gives the gift of emotional connection. Constancy, carefulness, thirdly, candor. A friend is someone who is a truth teller. Look at chapter 27, verses 5 through 6 and verse 9. Here's what Solomon writes to his son. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest Counsel, chapter 28, verse 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Um, I, I asked this question in the first service, little audience participation. This may backfire. Pastor Mark's been here for four years. Has Mark ever said something to you in a sidebar conversation or from the pulpit as he's walking to the Bible that kind of stung? Boy, that hurt. That was hard to hear. And initially we might rebuff, who does he think he is? Has he been talking to my spouse? Has he been talking to my kids? Has he been hanging out in the bushes in my front yard watching my life? How did he know to say that? Is he, is he eavesdropping upon my life? And, and initially we might rebuff at that. But when we take a step back and we think about Pastor Mark or someone else who's a friend, they tell us hard words because they what? They love us. True friends exemplify candor better is open rebuke than hidden love faithful are the wounds of a friend what is the metaphor trying to say is trying to say that your friends need to hear something but it's going to be painful for them to hear and they're not going to want to hear it covering the truth out of love solomon writes is the work of an enemy kisses of an enemy He's contrasting open love and hidden love. Open love is that of a friend. Hidden love is that of an enemy. Have you ever heard somebody say, I love them too much to share that with them. I love them too much to share that word. In actuality, who they love is not the person, but they love themselves. They don't don't love the person, they love themselves. True friends exemplify candor. It does not mean that you can be a jerk when you share truth, okay? Speak the truth in in love. Ephesians 4.15. Love is never passive. It's always action-oriented. Love does patience. When we read 1 Corinthians 13.4-7, we read it in saying, love is patient. That's not the way it reads in the original. It Love does patience. Love does kindness. Love does gentleness. So speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in a gentle, kind, 
patient manner, not in a jerk-like fashion. Just because you might be a forthright, candid individual, you don't get the freedom to say, that's just who I am. I'm a forthright, bold kind of guy. Oftentimes, that's a justification for being a jerk. Okay? We want to speak the truth in love, but we want to be truth tellers. Truth tellers. What's he saying in 29 verse 5? A man who flatters his feet spreads a net for his feet. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. What's he saying? When you're not honest and truthful with people, um, you're setting them up for disaster. Why? Because they're making decisions based upon their perspective and their wisdom. But our perspective is always skewed and our wisdom is always limited. Our perspective is always skewed and our wisdom is always limited, which is why we need friends in the church. We're members of one another, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. We're part of the universal church if you're a Christian and we express it through local congregation, Hamilton Hills Church. We is better than me. There is no such thing in the Bible as Lone Ranger Christianity. You are not called to do life alone. We do life together. And if we're going to do life together, let's do it in a way that honors Jesus. Let's exemplify these type of friendships. Carefulness, candor, and constancy. Fourthly and real quickly, friendships that we see in the Bible are those that exemplify Counsel. We've already read those verses, 27, 5 through 6, verse 9. Verse 17 reads, Iron sharpens iron, so one man or one woman sharpens another. When you rub iron together, it's going to produce a sharp edge, but for what purpose? I think what Solomon's telling his son is this. Son, you need friends who are going to help you prepare for the ups and the downs of life and are going to help give you counsel and wisdom and insight to help you navigate your life in an honorable fashion. I need men and women in my life who give me counsel, who speak candidly. When I was uh, early on in our marriage, we um, about year Year four, year three, we had three kids under the age of three. Uh, they were all in diapers. And I started my first senior pastor position, and I started a, a doctoral degree, which was not the most wise thing as I'm looking back. And I was, I was just, I was exhausted. I had no margin, and I was not kind, and I was not gentle, and I was not patient with my bride and my kids. It was not a good time in our marriage. And there was a particular event, nothing of a physical abuse, but I just, I said some things that I should not have said. And my wife texted her best friend, Laurie, who happens to be my sister-in-law. And my sister-in-law, as you are rightly thinking about family dynamics, is married to my brother. And my brother knows me fairly well. And so my brother texted me, hey, I think that we need to talk. Now, you always hope when you screw up that you'll be the first person to actually initiate, hey, we need to talk, but I was the second person, so I kind of, you know, he beat me to it. And he goes, hey, I'd like to talk with you. I know something happened, I'd like to talk with you. And I was like, okay, I'll fine, I'll talk with you. And he says, and I'd like you to bring a couple of your pastors at the church where you serve, just for accountability purposes, just so they can lean in. And I was like, wow, that's taking things to a whole other level. And so we talked 
They challenged me. We put my, I, I, I came under their leadership. I repented of some things. And it was a pivotal moment in my life and in my marriage and in my family. I look back to that conference call with Norman and Chase and Micah a thousand miles away as they leaned in and they spoke candidly to me. And they gave me counsel and they were careful and they're still part of my life now. So if you were to summarize this, how, how would you summarize constancy, carefulness, candor, and counsel? Here's how you would summarize it. A friend always lets you in. You probably know what I'm going to say, but never lets you down. A friend always lets you in and never lets you down. So here's a question. How are your friendships going? How are your friendships in the church going? Do you see somebody and think, if they went that way and I went this way and we never intersected, I'd be okay. That's not godly. It's not God-honoring. It doesn't cherish the bride of Christ, the family of God. We are family, right? We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you exemplify these types of qualities? Do the friends in your life exemplify these type of qualities? When I look at those characteristics, there's a feeling of longing because we live in a culture where we do not have friends that our heart needs. And the profile, I think, is crushing. One of the reasons we don't have the friendships that we long for is that we fail to exude these type of friendships in our life. But I think it's more than that. That we actually need the power by which to do friendships from the Bible's perspective. So again, I'm not up here just giving a sermon on friendships to help you take a, a good friendship and make it better because Jesus didn't come to make good people better, right? He didn't come to make people a better husband or a better wife or a better uh, fill in the blank in terms of your career. God came to make dead people alive. He came to make dead people alive. So if you look at John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, here's what John writes down for us. Here's what John says. The power to do friendship comes from here. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love. There is no greater love than this, than someone who lays down his life for his for his friends. For his friends. The night before Jesus was to be crucified on our cross, not his, on our cross. Jesus is desperately trying to convey to his disciples and everybody else who's in that upper room what he was about. And in John 15, he says, I'm laying down my life for my friends. And what's so interesting is that when he said that, suddenly the whole history of the world could be understood with regards to friendship. God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. Again, walked is a Hebrew metaphor for Friendship. Adam had a friendship with God. And the story of the Bible in one instance is God providing a way in which we can enter back into a right relationship, friendship with him through his son. When we come to the Father through Jesus, we who were once an enemy or once an enemy combatant, we're separated, alienated because of our sin, because of our choices. We who come to the Father through Christ, we who once were far are brought near by the blood of Christ and are no longer an enemy of God, but are called a, a friend of God. We're called a friend of God. If you're a Christian, you know this theologically. 
which is good. But Jesus didn't come. He was not born. He did not live. He did not die. He was not buried. He did not resurrect from the grave merely for our theoretical understanding of friendship that we might be able to just talk about it. But he came to actually restore that which was broken. And we can now have a right relationship with the God of the universe through his son by coming to him in repentance and faith. And it's not just for heaven. The relation that we have now with the Father is to be bent out as brothers and sisters in Christ who have an allegiance that supersedes everything and everyone else because of Christ. We is better than me. We do life together. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you made a decision or would like to know more about us, you can connect with us at hamiltonhillschurch.org or via social media at Hamilton Hills Church. Also, if our church has impacted you in any way and you would like to make a donation, you can do so by going to hamiltonhillschurch.org slash give. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast.